band and uh, the special mentor coach on the drums this morning. That's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, we are in the wrapping up a sermon series. It's called How to Read the Bible. If you go to a church named Word Serve, where we preach and teach the word and we serve the world and we never want to separate those two, so we jam those two together, then we probably ought to know how to read the Bible and what the word is about in our lives. So that's where we've been. If at any point you want to go back and catch what we've covered, uh, we've covered that Jesus is the word, Jesus fulfills the word. Now we're talking the book that breathes last week and now the book that lives this week. You can find those on YouTube, on Facebook, on our website, uh, all kinds of things. And if you ever have a question about um, topics or about anything that was said, please let me know. I'd love to have that conversation with you. Today we're on to the book that breathes. Now, I want to start with a very scientific poll. How many people love going to the doctor? One. <laughs> awesome. I, I kind of had this in mind. Now, this picture, obviously, is a stock photo picture. I have three daughters. I have three grandsons. I have never seen a doctor's visit look so happy. This is clearly staged, right? Your parents, you know what I'm talking about, right? This doesn't just happen. This is staged. Nobody's that happy to see the doctor. In fact, I think most people fall into one of two categories. They either don't like to go to the doctor and they avoid it at any cost, or you got the opposite side, and now the internet has made it twice as bad because you've got this thing called WebMD. Anybody familiar? You might have just outed yourself. All right, so WebMD, here's, the, here's how this goes. These guys get on there and they start to search. Oh, I, I, I see the symptom. I got a little sniffle. I'm going to check out what I think it is. And man, can you go down to some rabbit holes. I don't know if you've been on WebMD. Uh, I did out of curiosity once. I will never go back. I was traumatized. Because you start to say, oh, yeah, I think I've got that. Oh, I've got that symptom too. I think I've got that symptom too. And then you look at your wife and go, honey, I think I'm pregnant. Pretty sure you're not, but WebMD will convince you that you are. So don't just rely on the internet. There are things out there that are not always good information, right? So uh, because of that, I, I have taken another approach. Maybe there are professionals that are good at this, and I will tell you about a time in my life where this became very important. I'm one of those guys, I don't like to go to the doctor. But when you spend 21 years in the Air Force as an Air Force pilot, those are the guys that can ground you. They take your fun away. Uh, so I wanted to avoid them at all costs, and I, I was very good at that. So one day uh, after I retired and I didn't have to go to annual physicals, I uh, popped a rib, and I had to go to the doctor. That's not something I fixed myself, right? So as I go to the doctor, uh, the doctor starts asking me questions. When was your last physical? When was the last time you did blood work? And I was like, 19, uh, no, <laughs> not that bad. But she, she made me, didn't make me, she recommended that I do some labs. And so we did some labs. She called me the next day and said, hey, there's a number in your labs uh, that we find concerning. And uh, she explained to me that on the scale of things that they track, zero to four is normal, four to six is something they need to watch. And I said, great, so what am I, like 4.5 something? She goes, no, you're at 12.5. All righty then. And she said, and here's, I, I have learned to decode doctor speak. She said, I need you to see a friend of mine. That's doctor speak for you. You got to go see a specialist. And I want to know what your schedule is like on Tuesday. So if, if they schedule it for you, it's probably pretty serious, right? It's not like, hey, sometime in the next six months, could you give this person a call? No, it's like, what's your schedule like on Tuesday? So I go to the specialist. 
I go to the specialist, I go, you know what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do the test again because we've got more accurate readings and equipment and maybe there was an anomaly in the test. I like this guy. Let's do that. He calls me the next day. Hey, um, listen, we got this scale. Zero to four is not. Right, look, doc, I know this. I, I know. Just tell me how many weeks I got to live, right? I was, <laughs> he goes, uh, your number came back. It's not the same as the lab before. It's 13.2. Zero to four is okay, four to six is monitored, and I'm at 13.2. Okay, this is bad. I'll spare you all the details, but there was a slew of tests that I had never heard of. There was language that I had to learn that I had never heard before. And at the end of it all, there came this time where he had to sit me down and say, okay, look, you've got cancer. Now, those words will change your life. If, you, if you've not experienced that, I don't recommend it. But it did change my life. And I remember thinking, he's explaining all the options. We had meetings with radiologists, with oncologists, with surgeons, with everything you can name. And he said, look, there's a lot of options. You're a young guy. I said, I like you. I, I still like you. <laughs> Keep it up. He said, we have options. You, you, there's something not right with you, but you're not powerless. And I, I hung on to that phrase. So going through all of that, I realized that there are some things that are out of my control. Now, Usually, you exhibit symptoms that would say, hey, there's something not right in you. I can honestly say, looking back, I did not have a single symptom from this type of cancer that most people have. Either that or I'm just really dense. My wife bets on the second one. But I didn't have any symptoms. I felt fine. I was no problem. But there was a big problem, and we needed to do something about it quick. Sometimes there's symptoms that will reveal that there's something not right. Sometimes there's not, and we think we're good, but you know what? We're not. And this takes direct correlation into the spiritual sense. Because if there's something not right in us spiritually, you'll know it. Sometimes there's symptoms. And, and maybe you, you know what it's like to see someone who's spiritually stressed, spiritually in trouble. In fact, you may have experienced some of these symptoms yourself. When you think of someone that's not right in the spirit, what symptoms might they exhibit? How could we recognize this? What do you think? Oh, I, I should explain to the people. I, I like to talk with you, not at you. So this is, a, this is your opportunity. What symptoms, when we're stressed or diseased spiritually, do you think might manifest? Short temper? What was it? Depression. Yes. What else? Headaches. Anger. Pain. And what was the other? Gossiping? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. Fatigue. You know what I'm not hearing? Jealousy, that's a good one. That's a great one. You know what I'm not hearing? Peace, grace, love. Isn't that what we all want and desire? So maybe there's something going on inside of us that we can address. Maybe there's symptoms, maybe there's not, but the Bible will tell us there's something wrong with our spirit, and we need to address that. So that's where we're going this morning in the book of Hebrews. Now, the book of Hebrews, just to give you a little warning, this is a book about warning. This is a book written to people who are in danger of falling away from the faith for various reasons. In this particular case, their faith is being tested by persecution, by punishment. And I would argue that today we have a similar challenge that people are falling away from the faith in record numbers. But sadly, in America, it's not because of persecution. It's because of apathy. We just don't care. 
There's so many voices out there, so many things drawing our attention that we, we fall away from the faith. So this warning, while it's different than it was for them, it carries some of the same messages for us today. It's a warning not to fall away from what God gives us. And particularly this word that we're talking about, this book that lives. And here's how we'll read it in, in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. We don't even have to advance the slide, guys, because it's all in one slide. This is what it says. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. These are the words of God for the people of God, and for these words we are grateful. Let's unpack this for just a second, because what I'm hearing is that this word is alive and active. How is that possible? How is it that a book can live? Well, a book can live because, one, it was inspired by the Holy Spirit, inspired by God, written through people. But secondly, it's the book that still continues to guide. If we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us in our interpretation and understanding of what is written here, then it speaks to us. It speaks to our situations. This book is alive and active. This book is alive. In fact, one of my seminary professors used to say the Bible is the only book that reads you. That ought to send chills down your spine, either good or bad. I don't know. But it is active in our lives if we allow it to be so. The other thing I notice is it uses this analogy of the sword. It's double-edged. It's sharp, dividing even soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And it, get this, judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Now, that ought to send chills down your spine, too. Because, you know, I can, I can put on a pretty good show. I can look like a really good Christian. I can say all the right things. I can sit down at the right time, stand up at the right time. I can raise my hand and praise at the right time. I can clap at the right time. Not always in rhythm, I'm sorry. But I can do all the things that look good. But what's going on in here is far, far more important. Because this is the source of things when it comes to our relationship. This is the thing that will manifest out to the world. And under pressure, I guarantee you will not be that happy-go-lucky person You'll be whoever's in here. The Bible even says, out of the overflow of heart, a person speaks. <laughs> awesome. So if you want to, to look at symptoms, look at how we speak. How are we speaking will tell you the condition of your heart. And the word is a great one to help you diagnose what's going on in the heart. I will admit that when I drive... I am not the most Christ-like person. How do I know this? Because things come out of my mouth that I would never say at any other time. In fact, I told you the story once about when I was talk texting my wife. You know, you can talk and it texts. And somebody pulled out in front of me. And I said something like, oh, no, don't send, don't send, don't send. <laughs> Anybody been there? <laughs> uh, you will. All right. <laughs> Keep driving. So the, the point being... <clears throat> That this, this sword divides right down to soul and spirit, right down to the heart of our attitudes. That's right to the core. And here's the thing that is the most profound thing in this entire verse. Listen to the very last words. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him, get this, to whom we must give account. Wait a minute. 
You're telling me I got to give an account for all these things that I've done and said? Didn't Bill, didn't just two weeks ago you say that grace was the way and it forgives and it always brings us home? Yes, I did, and so did this book. Didn't you say last week that this book that breathes is a guidance and it can be trusted? Yes, I did. And if that's true, then somehow grace and the book that can be trusted still make us accountable. How does this work? This makes absolutely no sense. Everything that is uncovered and laid bare is laid before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. There's two ways to look at this. One way is, oh, somebody's going to judge me big time. They're just going to lay it all out there, all the ugliness, and see everything and judge me for that. But there's another way to look at it, and that's the way I want to encourage us to look at it this morning, the way that a doctor would look at it. All the data is laid out there and bare. All the tumors that are hidden with no symptoms are laid out and bare. Right before the eyes of whom? The one who can do something about it. And so when I go back to my story and I got that news from the doctor and we looked at all the options, we decided I'm not going to mess around with this thing. I'm going to go as aggressive as I can. Let's get this thing knocked out. And so that was surgery. And so surgery it was. That's the way it went. Now, this sword that is sharp and divides all this stuff, it has got nothing on the scalpel, right? Because, I mean, let's be honest, if you're being operated on, don't you want a scalpel? Not, you know, I've never heard a surgeon say, butter knife? No, if you hear that, run, right? And the other thing I've never heard a surgeon say is, scalpel, great. Hey, here, Bill, you take that. Good luck. Just do it yourself. You, you know what's wrong. Just fix yourself. That would be insane, would it not? You would take that scalpel and go, no, <laughs> first of all. I don't know where to cut. I don't know what I'm looking for. Who knows? I'll tell you who knows. The surgeon who has studied anatomy. The surgeon who has studied all those weird tests that they did where they shoot you up and die and you glow in the dark and all that weird stuff. They know exactly what they're doing. They know exactly how to use that thing, exactly what to cut, what not to cut, and how to make that thing go away. That's the one you want holding the scalpel. What's the surgeon's motive? Oh, well... <laughs> You must have lived a terrible lifestyle to have cancer. You're just a, an idiot. You know, let me just whack this thing out. No, that's not the motivation. The motivation is I'm a surgeon. I've trained for years so that I can help people. And I'm here today to help you. With all the knowledge, with all the skill that I have, with all the instrumentation, with all these wild things that we have, I'm here to cut that bad thing out of you. But I need to see it all laid bare. I need to know everything. If the motive is care and love, the whole result looks different. So this surgeon that does this thing makes me well. Now, I'm happy to report that uh, you, you have to go back for regular checkups at first every three months, then every six months, and then every year. I'm coming up on three years cancer-free. Yeah, that is a praise, absolutely. But here's the thing. It doesn't just end when they cut it out, right? Because there's this thing called a follow-on plan. And you sit down with a doctor, and, and I was very adamant about this. I'm like, oh, no, I'm too young to go. I got lots of people to annoy yet. I got to live a long time, right? So I got to be uh, old enough to annoy my kids to pay back all the, you know, how it goes, parents, right? So I sat down. I said, look, how do I prevent this from ever happening again? I want to know everything. I, you tell me what to do, I will do it. You tell me to do a backflip down the aisle, I'll do it. Even if I can't do one, I'll figure out how to do it. I don't want this to happen again. And so this treatment plan involves a couple of things. 
First of all, there's rest. Well, you can't just go and do what you were doing, especially right after surgery. That's a bad plan, especially because you're still connected to some things. It just wouldn't work, right? So rest in the Bible, in the spiritual sense, what is rest? Listening to God. Silence. Sleep, that's a great one. Being still. There's all kinds of Bible verses that talk about the silent, the still, small voice. Be still and know that I am God. They have a special word for it. It's called Sabbath. But I would also argue that the same culture that we live in that has apathy towards God has no room for rest in God. There's no time for Sabbath. We got stuff to do. In fact, we are so busy, we no longer hear the voice of God, and I'm convinced that that's part of our spiritual trouble. We have to learn to take time, to take that Sabbath and rest in God. The second thing that the doctor told me, he said, let's talk about your diet. Because did you know that food is actually medicine? I got to credit my wife on this one. She has done a tremendous amount of research in what we put into our bodies. I did not like her at first. (laughs) Because she would say things like, you're not going to eat that, are you? I was, but now I'm not. What am I eating instead? This bland, mushless thing made of, I don't even know what it was made of, but it was good for me. Now, I was a motivated individual, so I ate it. I still eat it. I still eat it today, food as medicine. So what is the spiritual sense of the diet? Well, it's pretty simple. What are you taking in? What are you taking in your spirit? Is it the news? Is it the internet? Is it your circle of friends that don't know God or don't care about God? What is it that you're taking in your soul? Are you regularly feeding it this book that lives? Because if not, your diet will begin to affect your body. Trust me, I, I know this from firsthand experience. The, the next one that he talked about <clears throat> was exercise. Now, if you move your body, it starts to do things like it's supposed to do. If you don't, it will break down. That's just the way we're made. Similarly, with our spirit, if we just take in, if we eat the right things and we think and we're still and we're quiet before God, but we never exercise our spirit, uh, we get spiritual flabbiness. That's why at WordServe, we put those two words together. Yes, we preach and teach the word, but we also serve the world. We exercise our faith in daily life. And that might be a conversation, that might be a service project, that might be something that just comes up. But if you don't exercise our faith, our faith becomes weak. The world doesn't see that. Is the world going to sit down and read this book? No, I'll tell you what will happen. If you convince someone to read this book, they're going to get right to that chapter that goes the begats, right? Begat, 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 and go, I'm done with this. This is not helpful. But what is helpful is to go, hey, I've noticed there's something different about you in the way that you live. Why is that? Aha, now you've got an inroad. Now you've got a way to introduce them to this God that we serve, this word that lives and breathes and moves through us. And there's your chance to sit down and build that relationship and that relationship. It's about exercising our faith so that the world can see. Nobody, uh, I won't say nobody, not many people will read this. Everybody will read you. What story are we telling? If we exercise our faith, we're telling the best story ever told. The last one is you got to have regular checkups. Now, I will admit, I still don't like doctors. 
I don't like going to them because look what happened the last time I went. (laughs) Things changed. But I also recognize that if I catch it early, then it's a lot better than waiting until it's too late. So the regular checkups, what does that look like? Well, it looks like I regularly get into this thing. And it helps me judge the attitudes and thoughts in my heart. It gives me guidance on how to live, on why we live the way that we do. And if I don't participate in this lifestyle, I will participate in some lifestyle, unless you're not living. (laughs) As I look around, I think everyone is living, right? So what lifestyle are we going to participate in? One that gives life or one that brings chaos and death? Those are the choices. This is the way that this works. I'm not making this up. So at WordServe, we have this thing called the logo. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but this is what the WordServe logo means. If you look at the top of a book, you see that the pages are coming up out of the book. The pages of the book that lives. The pages of the the book that live through us and is brought to life when we teach and preach the word and serve the world. Those pages are coming to life and they're pointing towards a star. The star is the light of the world. That's the one that said, do your good deeds before men so that they will see God and give him glory. This is what we're all about, word serve. If we don't do this, then our other option is to live in darkness. And to take the world along with us down that spiral that will end in chaos and death and darkness. I don't want that. I don't think anybody wants that. So we have a bit of an option this morning when it comes to this sword. We can either ignore the stuff that's going on to us. And, and by the way, when you, <laughs> when you ask the doctors, like, okay, I hear your test results. But what if we just don't do anything? What if I just gut through this? And the answer is, it will kill you. And okay, what's plan B? I'm down to that. Well, plan B is to do something about it. If we ignore it, we can rationalize it, we can justify it, we can sweep it under the rug, but it will eventually kill us. Us as individuals. Us as a society. And the sharp blade that comes down then is a blade of judgment. Because it's too late to do anything about it. One day, we must give account. That's what this word tells me. I'll believe it because it's trustworthy and true. And if I've done nothing and I get to that point, that blade is a blade of justice. I don't really like the idea of justice from a God to whom I must give account. But if we take this into our lives now, if we begin to live this now, if we let it work in and through us now, that blade is a scalpel, a scalpel of grace, a scalpel that comes down and takes that from us because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. We have to choose, word serve. Do we want justice? Do we want grace? Because we're not right, but we're not powerless. Choose grace. Choose life. Will you pray with me, please? God, thank you for the option that we have, that sharp, double-edged sword that reveals all things. God, it's hard for us to admit that there's things in our hearts that maybe aren't the best, that maybe aren't of you. And God, it's also hard to open up about that 
We don't want people to see that. We don't even want you to see that. God, help us to realize that you see everything. And rather than hold guilt and shame over our heads, you sent your son, Christ, to die for us. And because of that, I can't understand this. You knew everything that we did, and you sent your son to die anyway. That's love that is beyond my understanding. We got thank you for that. That's what gives us the option for grace and life. So God, let us be instruments of that life. Let us take in this book that breathes and lives and let it live through us so that the world will see you for who you are and will often open up the same option of grace and life. God, we can't thank you enough, but we'll try. And as you work in us, help us to see and understand more. Help us to live more like you and help us to look more like your son Jesus than we did when we walked in this building this morning. We do all this for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name.